Tales from the Chair is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition, illness, or disease. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for mental health treatment. Should you or a loved one require further assistance, please seek out a licensed professional. How did Cheryl know that my wife and I love truffles? You told Cheryl. Yeah, I told her you you love truffles. Yeah. There's been a breach of the patient-doctor confidentiality. There's no such thing as patient-doctor confidentiality. I think what you're referring to is doctor-patient confidentiality, and that's a whole different ballgame. Larry, what I try to create here is a circle of trust. And can I have your arms for a second? I'd rather not. All right. Well, then I'll do it with my own arms. Use your own arms. Here it is like this, and it creates a circle. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, nothing should leave this circle. It should be ironclad. Welcome back to Tales from the Chair. Today's topic, hey, is this confidential? Oftentimes when people come into my office, one of the first questions that they'll ask me is if what we're doing is confidential. Now, this is an actually very good question. Because you should probably know to what extent the things that you're talking about are secure and what could potentially be exposed. Now let's get into a few little facts and a few little details before we get into the meat of potatoes of what is confidential and what isn't. For starters, if you're paying in cash, basically most of the things that you're going to be talking about are confidential. And here's what I mean. If you come in for therapy through the insurance, you have to understand that the insurance company knows that you're coming in. There is no confidentiality because your insurance company knows that you came in at such a date and that you have a diagnostic code. That might be an issue for some people and that's why they actually will sometimes pay in cash because they don't want a paper trail. So this is an important little factoid. Furthermore, If you are going through your insurance, every now and then, they'll ask for a treatment plan review, which is basically them asking for the notes, for the treatment plan, and a basic overall summary of what's being done in the therapy. This obviously means there is somebody that is looking through your information, seeing what it is that you're talking about in therapy. Now, does your employer have access to this? Nope. Does a friend have the ability to take that file? Nope. It just means that some rando in an insurance company is looking through your information, making sure that we're doing a legitimate job, and as soon as they do that, they either go ahead and send the file back for me, the therapist, to be paid, or they send it back to it be corrected and I don't get paid. So it's really more of a quality control thing, more so than people going through your deepest dark secrets. That's something very important for you to recognize to start, but not necessarily in a way that can be accessed by different parties. Another way in which confidentiality can be breached is if you literally sign off on it. Sometimes, for example, I will have a patient who is seeing a doctor or a psychiatrist or some other professional, and one of them wants to speak with me to collaborate. If the patient signs a medical release form, you are literally signing the ability for your confidentiality to be severed in order for information to be distributed between professionals. Now, are we talking about uh, small details and having a giggle about things? Not at all. We are just merely talking about case management. But if you sign off on it, that's going to be a breach in confidentiality. Furthermore, 
in the event of couples therapy, if you say, I have no problem with my partner, knowing what we talked about in a previous session, guess what? You are allowing for information to be distributed with that person. That is a verbal commitment that you are making. Now, us, the therapists, have to use our discretionary abilities in order to manage what is a appropriate bit of information to give in that kind of couples or familial therapy setting. But if you are saying it is okay to talk about whatever, guess what? That makes it okay. So when we get back, we'll go into the places where confidentiality can be breached and why those rules exist in the first place, but also even small little loopholes to those rules. So the first place that we should discuss the breach of confidentiality is in the presence of abuse. More specifically, child, elder, spousal, or general abuse. So, you have a kid who has injuries or who reports that his parents are hitting him with devices and causing significant damage. We are mandated reporters. We're calling that thing in immediately. There are small little discretionary things that we have to take into account. For example, there is such a thing as corporal punishment. Parents still, to this day, have a tendency of slapping their kid in the butt or pinching them if they say something bad or small little gestures that are physical in nature but as an act of discipline. We have to use discretionary measures in order to recognize where the line of poor corporal punishment tactics being not abusive to, wait, now you're getting a switch causing cuts, scrapes, bruises, and physical harm, and it needing to be reported. Now, there was an instance in which I was working with an individual who was very aware of confidentiality rules. So let's just say that they are in the legal-medical realm, and they understand the issue with mandated reporting. Now this person was telling me about an evening that she had with her spouse in which he was drunk and was very irate and their conflict started to escalate. And immediately as we were talking, she stopped her story and said, hey, if I were to say that something happened, do you need to report it? To which I said, absolutely, because of course I do. That's how this works, that's not okay. So immediately she concealed the next part of the story. Let's move on to something else, she said. At this point, as a therapist, you're in a bit of a bind. You know that something happened, but you don't know to what extent. You don't know how bad it was or if it's continuing. And you do not know if it will happen again in the future. So at that point, you have to start kind of playing a little bit of a game of can I get information that would suggest that there is a duty to warn? That is a core principle here. Or better yet, a duty to protect. I ask her, are you safe? She said, yes. I ask little probing questions like, did he uh, use his hands or his fist upon you that evening? She says, no. She immediately concealed a chunk of information allowing for a wide gap of mystery 
which does not allow us to move forward. Now, some more conservative therapists would potentially still call it in as an abuse report. I, unfortunately, was in a position where she would not return back to therapy had I done that. She would have potentially put in, been put in a position of further harm, and we would not have been able to work on ways for her to get out of that sticky situation. This is a very difficult place that therapists have to manage, and most times, it's an absolute slam dunk. Call it in. Don't even allow this person to leave the office with a position of difficulty in place. Or, by extension, that they are causing the harm and you're protecting someone on the other side. Now, here's a riddle for you to try to figure out. Now, what about in the instance of a patient who has committed a crime? The easy generic scenario that I get with a lot of patients is... I am doing drugs, or I am selling drugs. Are you going to call it in? And the easy answer is no. No, I'm not. I hear a lot of things in my office. If I called in every single thing, first off, I wouldn't be practicing because therapy, as you know, I, as you heard earlier, is a circle of trust. A lot of things stay in. Now, if, for example, I was informed that someone was selling drugs and that they were lacing it with fentanyl and they were doing it in an excessive way in order to cause harm to some of their clients, then that actually does start to bleed into the duty to warn arena. I've never run into that situation, but that's the kind of additional element. Furthermore, if someone tells me, I think I'm going to shoot someone, obviously, mini red flag, but I understand that that is a comment that people throw out there as a sort of hyperbole. Now, if someone said, I'm going to take my shotgun, and I'm going to go up to Karen's house, and I'm going to see Karen, and then I'm going to shoot her in the chest, that is an actual intent. And that's just it. When someone has the intent to harm themselves, or actually harm someone else, or harms something like in a form of arson or extreme crime, and there needs to be a need to protect someone, then that's a moment where a crime would need to be reported. There is a story of a therapist who once was working with a patient, and the patient admitted to the therapist that they had murdered someone in the past. Believe it or not, and this may be debatable, but that actually stays within the confidentiality of the treatment. Now, let's throw a wrinkle in because this is where it starts getting a little dicey. Now imagine that the person said that they had murdered someone and that someone else was wrongly accused and that that person was in trial right now. Apparently in that scenario, now you break confidentiality because there is a danger to somebody else, their livelihood, their ability to basically live a free and comfortable life. And therefore, confidentiality can be broken in that scenario. But you see, it's again, it's those extra details that make it that much more dicey and therefore makes confidentiality fairly airtight outside of once you start adding in these extra layers. The last arena where generally confidentiality tends to get broken is in the event of a legal scenario. That 
I get subpoenaed for a court case. Now, generally, I will be subpoenaed for a family law case, a divorce case in which the kid was coming to see me and they want my testimony or they want to know what has been going on with regards to the parents. And when there is a subpoena, oh, there's there's nothing I can do about it. Everything that we discussed is on the table. You basically volunteered it away. It's the thing that we were discussing earlier. You have agreed to allowing some party in the legal system to gain information on you for the purposes of whatever it is that's going on either civilly or criminally. Now, there is an instance where I was working with what I will refer to as a not-so-smart person in which they asked me to write a letter for their lawyer that expressed that they um, were coming in to see me for things that were causing difficulty in their life. I told them, here's the problem with that. If I do so, you are basically opening the door to the lawyer not only getting information on you beyond just this letter, but also that the other lawyers are going to try to get information and maybe even extend it to a deposition in which now I have to give information in a trial setting. This person said, I want the letter. Go ahead and write the letter. So I wrote the letter. And guess what happens? The letter spit out facts and they did not like the facts that were there. So they asked me to alter it. And this has happened on multiple occasions where people will find out that in me writing a report, there's information, which is true, that is significant, that they don't want out into the world and then want me to conceal it. The problem is, that's not what I'm doing. That is not what you asked for originally. I cannot retract facts. So what happens next is what always happens. The lawyers pounce. First, their lawyers want a deposition and the files of our whole treatment, which really is a rabbit hole of a lot of information that this person probably didn't want out into the world. But then the lawyers on the other side wanted to cross-examine me. And by the way, here is the cherry on top of all of this, because this is something that a lot of people choose to ignore. I have ranted previously that therapy is often treated in a sort of like free service type mentality in which I will get texts or calls from patients or incoming patients expecting basically for me to be on the phone with them for free for an extended period of time because, well, that's my job. But it is my job. I'm a professional. If you call a lawyer and you want to talk your case with the lawyer, guess what they do? If you've ever had a legal situation, do you know what lawyers do? They charge you by the unit of time, some by the minute, some by the 15 minute interval, but they charge you and it's a large extent of money. And I actually am fairly liberal with how and when I charge people for my time. But when we go into legal cases and I'm being deposed or I am being um, asked for my testimony and such, I charge for that. So not only is this person now having their information out in the open, left for multiple parties to see, but they also are losing money in this revelation. And that is the third place that you have to recognize confidentiality. And I will actually warn people nowadays that if they are in a legal case, to be very aware, like, do not put me in a position to be subpoenaed because all your stuff is going to be out there. And most of the times, people avoid it like the plague. 
And sometimes they will go ahead and put themselves in that position and, well, things come out and <laughs> you're at the mercy of a lawyer at that point. What do you expect? I should point out this small little caveat with confidentiality and children. A lot of parents want to know what I am talking about with their children. It depends on state to state how far confidentiality goes with children. Certain diagnoses, in some states, pregnancy can be confidential. For the most part, children don't have confidentiality. They are telling me things that can then proceed to be told to the parents. Now, as a therapist of children, I use discretion. If the information that the kid gives me is either going to breach their trust in me telling their parents or is going to lead to any kind of negative fallout, then I actually do not normally tell the parents. So in that case, I am being confidential by withholding information. But again, technically nothing that children say is confidentiality. So that's the thing. Also, furthermore, if I'm in a couple setting, I think I brought this up earlier, and someone tells me that they are cheating on their partner and that they're running away with their mistress to Spain to live there forever and that they are going to take a large sum of money with them, if I have a couple session with them the next day, I don't bring that up to the other person. Now, bear in mind, a therapist is not going to contribute to an economy of lies. So generally at that point, it's either to work on putting the truth out there, addressing that there needs to be any kind of forward progress in that respect, or if it gets to a point where it is actually stopping any kind of potential in the therapy. So for example, this person is plotting their escape, but they are kind of holding back the relationship hostage in a way, generally as a good therapist, you kind of conclude treatment because they're not going anywhere. And that's, again, probably a little bit less difficult than some of the other judgment calls that we have to make, but that's another example of something we'll often run into, the deep, dark secret, which ultimately, yes, uh, going back to the whole moral of this whole episode, is the extent of confidentiality in therapy. And that's it for today. Thank you once again for listening. You can like or subscribe to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or all the others. You can follow us on Some Tales From at Twitter.com. You can write to us at Some Tales From the Chair at gmail.com. And I hope to hear from you guys so I can write my next mailbag. And we will leave it at that. Thanks again and take care. Larry, I think this is a breakthrough. No, it's not a breakthrough. I think it's a breakthrough. It's not a breakthrough. I'm pretty sure it's a breakthrough. I'm going to write down breakthrough. You're writing down breakthrough. It's just a waste of everybody's time. Break. That whole pad. You might as well throw it. It does nothing, that pad. Breakthrough.